Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Otson Audible's podcast Monday edition for the show. I'm Matt Pream, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Joining me as well, as usual, uh, first time in a long time, guys, that we've had to do a mailbag after a loss, eight straight wins, um, and I'm sure that this podcast, Eric, is going to center squarely on what happened at Austin Stadium Saturday, big picture ramifications from it. Uh, you you were the one that manages the mailbag. Uh, what, what kind of questions do we have here this week? Well, we've got one talking about quarterback scenario which i think is a place to start and then as you might expect defensive uh coverage pass defense not getting beaten by four four hundred yards against the air uh that's central uh, a lot of people's minds this week but the first one from at big underscore duck energy with the status of bo nicks uncertain is it fair to say the ducks have a significant problem at backup quarterback given what we've seen this year and a big matchup against Utah next hashtag odds notables. The Ty Thompson scenario is not ideal. It hasn't been good. I don't think there's anyone who can say outside of the program that they feel confident in what he'll do in an expanded role if he's the player that starts this game. We don't know what will happen with Knicks. Um, Dan Landing will speak this evening. He might come out and say, yeah, Bo's fine. He's going to be good to go. It, he'll be the starting quarterback. He finished the game. I found that to be encouraging, but you never know, right? And that was one of the things I think Lanning kind of made it clear in, in postgame is they would have to go through more evaluation before determining his status for this game. And we'll get a better feel later this week. Lanning might say one thing on Monday, and then he and, and the Knicks might not practice on Tuesday and Wednesday, and we'll have a different, a different feel for things. But this is definitely the ongoing story to start this week is, is what's going on with Bo Nix. Is he available for this game? If he is available, kind of building off what we talked about on Saturday, how much of the offense can he still run effectively? How, how capable is he of a runner? Um, when Utah gets into the backfield, how much of an ability does he have to evade the rush and, and, and get the ball out? You know, just these kind of things, the parts that made him so impactful, like how much of it is he able to do? Is he 70%, 80%? Is he less? What's kind of his status? So that's certainly the story this week. Um, and as Duck, Big Duck Energy said, that's currently uncertain. Ty Thompson's not been good this year, just point blank. About a 50% completion percentage, two interceptions. He's entered the games. He's entered, I think, six games this year. Uh, yes, six games this year late. None of it's gone very well besides the Eastern Washington game, and that's an FCS opponent. Um, in games against Power 5 teams, that includes BYU, and then four conference games. He's completed just six of 14 passes, two interceptions for about nine yards. Not good. Pretty um, good. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Not good. The one thing that 
could give you a little bit of optimism. I'm not saying it's good because no one should say it's good because Ty hasn't proven that he's able to really move the offense at all. I haven't done the exercise. I plan on doing it later this week if Ty has uh, indicated he'll be the starter. But I just kind of wonder just how many yards has the offense actually gained with him in these games. You know, it's not just that he hasn't thrown the ball. It just they, they just haven't really successfully maneuvered it in any aspect of it. And I know the run game, some of that is is not his fault. Some of that is his fault. But, like, I think collectively it hasn't been very positive when he's been in a game. So there's kind of the negative. If you want, I'll give a glass half full take as well before I toss it over to you guys. But, like, he's also never been able to have a week prep knowing he's the guy, right, working with the first team, working with an expanded playbook before going in. That doesn't mean he's had no preparation and he hasn't done anything in practice and he's just gone out there with, you know, uh, after barely throwing the football all week and he's just been kind of sitting on the sidelines stretching during practice. Like, I'm not saying that's the case either, but there is a difference in terms of preparing as a starting quarterback with the first-team offense than there is with what he's done previously. So if you want to be somewhat optimistic, you say – and obviously, Thompson in the game is not an ideal situation. It's not Bo Nix. And against Utah in particular, which is the part maybe I'll let you guys tackle, it's really a problem. But if you want to try to be glass half full, you say Ty Thompson has a lot of natural ability. It's very gifted athletically. It's got a very strong arm. And if you give Kenny Dillingham, who we've been really, I think, all complimentary of how he's game planned all season, you give him a week of working with Ty, getting him ready, Maybe you can get something out of it that looks a lot better than what we've seen so far. But I will even say I'm a little bit cautious in saying I think that's what's going to take place if if he's the quarterback on Saturday. I think it's very fair to be extremely cautious about this situation happening if Knicks can't go or Ty Thompson is a starter. Uh, you know, yeah, like Eric just mentioned, it's clear through the six games that Ty has just had an inability to move the ball down the field. Um, two interceptions. Um, one, I would say, was – wasn't necessarily his fault with Dante Thornton dropping it and it going right through his hands into another defender. But still, that's a pass that should be completed. That's a pass that shouldn't go down on the stat seats as an interception. Um, but again, like Eric mentioned, the offense in general just hasn't moved the ball, which is why I'll, I'll bring up another glass half full perspective of just Ty's going to, if if he is a starter, if Knicks can't go, he'll have the week, obviously, to work with the first team, but he'll also have in-game situations with the first team offense. And it's it's hard to come into those games where Oregon's up by 30 or 40 points and then expect to be good, expect to throw the ball down the field, expect to continue this offensive trend. Um, he's coming in cold. There's no real uh, there's no real rhythm or anything like that with the offense for Ty and him, and the, the second team offensive line and the second team receivers. The game's over. Yes, I'm sure they want to be out there, but at the same time, the game is over. So I will give that kind of half glass half full perspective for Ty before jumping into what Utah does. Um, this would be a really poor matchup if this is Ty Thompson's first uh, start this season because Utah is. I know they they defensively, statistically, they haven't been as good as they have been in years past. But I'll get to a point about that later on in the show. Um, they're good. This is a, a very well-coached defense. That is always what their what their formula is. I know they're without Van Van Fillinger, who's been. I think he's out for the season now, so that hurts his, their pass rush and, and attempts to get too tie if he is the starter. But they disguise coverage as well. They play man-to-man coverage well. Clark Phillips is a dude over there at cornerback. 
um, this is not an ideal test. And then Oregon State, hypothetically, if it goes two weeks, also not an ideal test. That's another very well-coached and pretty damn good defense. That, yeah, for, for Oregon, this is really a, a, a poor mix right here of, of timing with Knicks getting hurt and defenses that they're about to play. Um, it's, it's hard to have a glass full a glass half full perspective because of how poor Ty has played this season and what we have seen from him in the past, other than against FBS teams or FCS teams, it's it's going to be tough. And again, you can have a glass half full perspective, but I'm I'm not going to. I think this is this is very worrisome on how the offense performs if they can only just run the ball. I think it's a very good running offense, obviously with the stats that they put up every single week. But they need to throw the ball in, in order for them to be as high-powered and as high-octane as they'd like to be. And I don't know if they'll be able to do that with Ty. I think a lot of this outlook will depend upon how quickly Oregon knows Bo can go or could not go this week. Um, if Bo can go and he's going to be effective, they'll have a week to kind of formulate a plan and, and – put him in the best case scenario to play. And it will look different. Um, I'm sure of that. If Bo can't go and that determination is discovered today at some point or even tomorrow, you can game plan and prepare Ty Thompson and build his confidence up and, and build the game script around what he does well and give him ample opportunities to prepare for the game. And I wouldn't be surprised if he looks drastically better than we've seen all season, even against the opponent, because he's had the preparation for it. But if this is a case where, Hey, you know, we don't really know who's playing quarterback up until Friday or Saturday. And it's a game time decision for Bo. That's where things could get scary for Oregon offensively, because you're not giving the full amount of reps to tie or maybe you're not game planning entirely. You're, you're, you're throwing in two different kind of game scripts and ideas of what you want to run offensively with two different quarterbacks. And like Jared said, you're playing a defense that still ranks in the top three in scoring in the Pac-12, rushing in the Pac-12, passing in the Pac-12, total defense in the Pac-12, and they're in the top three in turnovers forced in the Pac-12 this season. Um, so you are playing – the premier defensive team in the conference the last four or five seasons, in my opinion. And you're potentially going into this game with a backup quarterback that just, like Eric said, hasn't looked good all season long. And whether it's fair or not, whether it's the thrown pass to Dante Thornton, that shouldn't have been an interception that was. Whether that was the backwards pass that went to – to Thornton on a screen that maybe he should have just dropped or, or batted down for an incomplete pass, and instead he, he caught it and lost like 12 yards. Whether that's funky stuff like that or whether it's very evident games, like against Stanford where it was, whoa, that was, that was rough to watch. He's not looked good. And it, it's – this is – look, if Kenny Dillingham is a future head coach at Arizona State or at Colorado or at any other school – after this season, this is a week that will prove that. If he can get the offense to show up and be effective and move the football, I'm not saying that they need to score 38 points in this game, but if they can consistently ha- do something, game up, figure out what they're going to do behind Ty 
and then execute it consistently throughout the game, then yeah, it, it jump on that Kenny Dillingham bandwagon as being a future head coach at X school. Um, this is this is going to be his moment to shine to really kind of get tied in a position to play if, if he has to play. And they might need 38 points to win too, just with the way Oregon's defense is played. Right. I mean, not, not, might not need 45 points to win. <laughs> right. No, and I just just to fill at that point, that was the one thing I was going to touch on, and you kind of segued there a little bit before we get to the next question, which leads into it is, uh, in past years with a better defense, you could say, hey, Oregon will have a probably has a chance to run the ball somewhat effectively, even if they aren't able to throw the ball very effectively, they can win a, a, a kind of a low scoring grounded out kind of game that's won 24 to 17 but i don't think oregon has the defense that gives you the luxury to expect to do that to hold utah utah unless there are unless this defense just makes some really good plays and bounces back which is i guess possible but i'm not holding my breath will score 30 points probably in this game at minimum and so you know that should be the expectation i know they're banged up too right like both teams are are dealing with injuries their quarterback is back um though and they are healthier probably in areas that matter than Oregon is right now offensively. But, no, it's 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 going to be a, a, an interesting week to follow because the health of Oregon, I think, plays a huge role in terms of kind of how we would outline and expect this game to go. Because I think it's going to be really competitive even if Oregon is close to full, full strength. Like I think this is a game that's very much up for grabs regardless of the Bo Nix situation. Um, and if he's not available, you're looking have- at a if he's not available, you're looking at a situation where uh, you're probably it's going to be, I think, very much uphill sledding. What's up? Uh, yeah, I had one more thing just on the, the Ty Thompson, the Nick stuff that I don't think we talked about. Uh, Alex Forsyth potentially being out. We're sure. still, you know, he leaves the game at the end of the fourth quarter. That's another element to add into all of this where he and Ryan Walk both injured in this past Washington game. That's your top two centers. Um, that's another thing that Oregon's offense and Kenny Dillingham and, and whoever's at quarterback is going to have to work out if those two can't go against Utah on this upcoming Saturday. Um, and it's one thing to have a new quarterback in, which certainly limits your offense, but it's another thing to have your top two centers out, which again limits your offense and, and the continuity there and how they how they can you know formulate a game plan. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see what center is is there at practice on Tuesday and where they are in terms of taking reps with what quarterback or what other center? The glass half full would be Ty's been getting snaps from Jackson Power Johnson for a long time. So maybe uh, that's a a good thing. That's true. I guess. Uh, No, it's not. I was just trying to find (laughs) another element to be positive. All right. Next question from at PR Dolphin underscore PR. I think that's a, they might have to ask. I think they made an adjustment. I don't remember there being an underscore PR after this person has asked quite a few questions. Are the issues on defense player scheme or coaches? Um, I think it's all of it. I think it's all of it. And I think it's all of it because I think all of it works together. You only run certain defenses when you have players that can run the defense. Um, I probably don't like one thing I'll say just off the top. I'm not putting player development entirely on this coaching staff they have not had a full year to work with these guys so um if you want to talk about player development i would say like hey christian gonzalez is really good coach meet work with him at colorado for two years before here that's an impressive development it wasn't a guy who was expected to be really good um i would say are some of the shortcomings uh 
based upon player development from the previous staff. That's where I'd point a finger if we're going player development. Um, but Oregon's in a lot of zone, and I think they're in a lot of zone in part because I don't know if they have the guys to match up in man. And this was a game in particular where I think you looked at it, and they've been in, in zone a lot in general. I think where they looked at it and they went, uh, yeah, maybe Christian Gonzalez can lock up one guy on one side of the field. Uh, I don't know if we think Triquez Bridges can do that. He hasn't really shown the ability to do that. Let's play a lot of zone. And I think, again, it goes back to the original point that we made all week was I think it sucks as well because they got beat in zone playing a defense that's supposed to not give up a lot of those big plays. Like that's, that's kind of some of the idea of what you're trying to do there is keep everything in front of you so you can make a jump on the ball, which Bennett tried to make in the 60-yard touchdown, but he just mistimed it or he took a bad angle on it or it's just an awesome pass. It's probably mostly the last part. Um, but regardless, you're in that zone in part to try to keep everything in front of you, to try to make plays on the football, to try to, to you know, you give up some completions, which they gave up a lot, but you're hoping they don't get the ball down the field vertically like they did quite as much. And unfortunately, uh, both everything, every, everything worked for Washington. Nothing you tried to take away was taken away. And I think the other part, um, kind of just big picture here is, and I don't think we hit it super hard on Saturday show. I know I think I listened back. I think Jared brought it up briefly, but lack of a pass rush in this game, Penix was very rarely pressured at all. Yeah. The, the, the one play he really was pressured, by the way, was where he threw the interception when he rolled out and was kind of forced to do so and threw a ball into traffic and Sewell tipped it and Boston made the interception. Um, there were a couple other times where he had to step up and move around, obviously most notably the third and 14 where he converted it running the football off the right side. But like in general, I don't think Oregon did a very good job of, of getting to the quarterback. And so how much of that is schematic and how much of that is also like we're already having a heck of a time in the zone coverage of actually covering people. And if we take a couple extra guys and bring them up the field, now Penix, who has proven to be a very capable decision maker, unless we get there immediately, uh, we're in trouble. And guess what? With three guys, we're never getting there, basically. Like, so I think it's yeah. a combination of a lot of things here. Like, To have a defense that can get pressure, you have to have the athletes to do it. And you also have to to use some of the simulated pressure, some of the aggressive stuff, you have to be confident enough in your coverage behind there to hold up long enough that if you don't get to the quarterback immediately and make him force him to make a quick throw, uh, that you've at least got somebody in position there, right? Like if you blitz Noah Sewell off his zone or, or whoever, or maybe you're in man in this play, suddenly you're giving a free runner to Washington, which is where you run into even more problems. So um, long way of saying, like, I, I think it's a lot of things. I, I think I've seen a lot of people criticizing the coaching staff and the scheme. I think at a certain point, like they, I'm not saying that they the, all of this blame goes on the players because that's also not fair. But at a certain point, you also just kind of have what you have, and they're now 10 games into this season, and Oregon put out the best game plan that they thought would work, and Oregon has smart defensive coaches. Dan Landing proved to be a very, very capable defensive mind at Georgia, right? Um, sometimes you just – Sometimes the offense just has the answers and you don't have a whole lot of counters. And I think it was a lot of that. So, I mean, I don't, you guys might disagree, but like, I just think Oregon's kind of is what it is in terms of they don't have yeah. the players. And I know people are frustrated by that comment because they'll say, well, look at all this five-star talent. Well, sometimes it doesn't translate for whatever reason. Sometimes it doesn't fit into the scheme of kind of what Oregon is trying to do. And sometimes the players just don't develop the way you'd like. But I, I, I think this is a, 
I know people, I saw people on the message board hating these comments of like, this is a Jimmy's and Joe's issue. I think defensively, some of it is. I, I, it's tough because I think all three of these things probably mix and match together and it's defensive issues. Honestly, I think it's, it's a lot about the players, not the, the people, the people of the players, but what Dan Lanning and what Tosh Lupoy have at their disposal to run this defense. This 4-2-5 defense has, has worked. It has shown that it has worked in the SEC. It's primarily what Alabama has run. It's what Georgia ran last year with Dan and the last couple of years with Dan. It is a defense that works with the right personnel. This is not the right personnel. You need four guys up front. You need more than just one dude or two dudes if you want to say DJ Johnson and Brandon Dorless are those guys to rush the passer. You need some guys up front, and Oregon – has good good defensive linemen who block and who mess up the run game for the opposing offense. They're one of the better defensive lines in terms of stopping the rush, but you can't rely on Brandon Dorless to get pressure all the time. You know, he's a defensive end and he's primarily playing on the inside. And you need somebody on the outside like DJ Johnson or Mace Huna or Trevin Mai or Braden Swinson to show up and be an outside edge rusher. And they haven't had that all season long. Oregon had one hit, one quarterback hit on Michael Penix on Saturday. It was from Justin Flo, who was a, it was a late hit, an egregious late hit that still went for an over 70-yard touchdown because Bennett Williams got smoked again. To me, this is a personnel problem. Oregon does not have the secondary that Dan Lanning or the linebackers that Dan Lanning would like. And I know that there's the four stars, the five stars, there's an issue that we have been talking about this entire season, and that's speed. This is not the fastest of defenses, and this is not how a 4-2-5 would primarily like to play. Um, you look at how Dan Lanning had, had assembled talents at Georgia in their 4-2-5. Those guys went east and west like they went north and south. They were the very best of them. And if you look at what this past recruiting class with Dan Lanning having only a certain allotted amount of time – Speed was a very main factor in their biggest recruits. Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart, Kamari Terrell, all sub-11 100-meter dashes in high school. That's fast. That's really, really fast. Dan is trying, and Dan and Tosh are trying to build this defense to be fast, to be able to go east and west, be able to run north and south at the same time with players going up and down the field, to be able to, to, to play zone or man coverage, whatever the case may be, and cover as much ground as possible. This defense, with a lot of a lot of players still left over from the previous coaching staff, um, doesn't really do that, and they didn't do it last year either. Oregon ranked tenth in the Pac-12 last year in pass defense, which I'm going to read you a number. It's pretty staggering. Tenth last year was 241 yards a game, which is really not a lot of yards per game allowed. If you look at this season. Uh, passing yards a game on defense, that would put them in like the top half of the, of defenses. This conference has gotten a lot better with quarterbacks, clearly. You know, we have Bo Nix, you have Michael Panix, you have Caleb Williams, you have Jaden DeLara, who I know was in the past last year, but is playing a lot better. You have Jack Plummer. Um, there are a lot of schools that do have a good quarterback last year, or this year, excuse me. Um, Pac-12 teams last season who averaged 400 yards a game, four. This season, there's seven teams that average over 400 yards a game. Pac-12 teams averaging over 500 yards a game last season, zero. This year, two, and it should be three because USC is at 499.4.
Um, this is how the conference is going to be until USC and, and UCLA leave. It's going to be more explosive. This defense is not cut out for that. They weren't last year. Just look at the Ohio State game. That's where uh, CJ Stroud destroyed them in the passing attack. It's very similar to what Washington did last night, or not last night, LOL, last Saturday. I, I think this is more player personnel than it is anything else. Um, now granted, in a year or two, when Dan has his full pick of the litter and the transfer portal and, and recruiting, and if there's still the same primary issues, then it might be scheme, then it might be coaches. But for now, I just don't think that this is the group of players to run this scheme and this, this grouping. There's a couple ways to look at this. I think the departures of DJ James and Jason Jones, while we thought they were going to be pretty big at the time, felt like maybe Oregon made some additions in the transfer portal that would make up for that. Um, but I think you can clearly see that they tried to make some additions via the transfer portal and some of those additions have helped. Some of those have not. And some of the recruiting didn't factor in. Um, I, the unit's just not good. And we knew going in that the secondary had questions. And all year, those questions have remained. Or we've now gotten the answers. They're not, they're not good against pass coverage besides Gonzo, it feels like. Um, and I, I, I said from the beginning of the year, I was worried about the pass coverage at linebacker that they've got a whole bunch of guys that are really good at one specific area, but they don't have a lot of guys that are good at coverage. And I felt like that's why I picked flow to lead the team in tackles at the beginning of the season, but it's kind of counterproductive there. Cause I also thought flow wouldn't start a lot because he and Sewell are not good against the pass and they can't play together every single down. Uh, unless you're playing a run-centric team. But the problem is, Bossa hasn't played, I felt like, close to what he was last season. And he is your best pass coverage linebacker. And the problem is, he's pretty much the only one that you have on the roster that is uh, advantageous in the passing game. Um, I don't feel like Sewell's very good there. I don't. Flo is definitely not good there. Keith Brown, I don't... I feel like he's not good enough. He's not good in, in pass coverage, but we haven't seen a ton of him. Um, LaDuke is not good in pass coverage. And so Oregon's linebackers have been picked apart. And like Jared said, you know, against that, that Georgia game and kind of against Washington, they just said, Hey, let's go short. Let's go, let's go wide and let's make these linebackers cover. And let's, let's just hit them across the middle and let's hit the intermediate or short stuff. And they feasted, Georgia feasted. And then Washington, how many times did they convert on, you know, the middle chunk plays across the middle? And so I, I, I think it's I think it's scheme to the point that the staff hasn't been able to figure out anything to kind of match the talent that they have this season. But I think it's also a, a, a player issue where, they don't have the players on staff to run maybe exactly what Dan Lanning wants to be running. And so it's both. And the offseason is going to be really interesting. I, I don't see how Christian Gonzalez comes back next season 
for a, a, another year for the Oregon Ducks. And so you lose your top corner, your best corner, maybe your best defensive player at a position group that everyone else really hasn't been above average or a little bit better than, than that. Um, I don't know if you have a guy on, on your roster committed. I mean, Caleb Presley, Cole Martin, are, are, are either of those guys players that you say that they're going to start day one and they're going to be really good um, at corner? I don't know. Um, at safety, the same thing. I, do they have that guy? And then up front, I don't know why Dorless would come back. And you lose him. DJ Johnson graduates. You, you haven't generated a pass rush all season long. Are there guys on – Oregon's commit list right now that you say, yes, they are absolutely going to show up. They're going to play right away and they're going to be dominant. I don't know. I mean, maybe if they pull a shocker and they, they get a David Hicks to add to the picture here, but the portal action for Oregon in the month of December and after the uh, first signing day period during, you know, leading up to the second one in February that that is going to be a fascinating watch to see what happens um, on defense because they have issues. They've got some solid recruits coming in, no doubt about it. But I don't know if any of these recruits are guys that you look at and say day one they're going to be in. They're they're a freshman all American, and that's kind of what it takes to be for a player to show up and play on a team that competes for a conference championship at the Power Five level. That's the caliber of freshman you have to have to, to start and be on that type of a, of a, of a team. You, doesn't mean you need to win the league. Doesn't mean you need to be a, a, an All-American, but you need to be in that contention. And I don't know if they have that. Portal. This is the portal offseason. Yep. This is going to be huge for a lot of programs. I think Oregon's one of them. They might need to find a quarterback, and they definitely need to find some help defensively. I don't think there's any question about it, and it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, I have more thoughts on this, but the next question is also centered around it. So we'll just run into that and, and kind of jump through there. For, um, we've answered some of this, but from at let's, G- let's take a quick break first. We're going to take a break now. I thought we were going to take a break after three. Oh, right. Yeah, we have five now. Yeah, yeah. We right. have five. Uh, at Jeep Duck Nerd is, question is, is Tosh Lupoy the Mario Cristobal of defensive coaches? Great recruiter, but severely lacking as a play caller. We have highly rated recruits and maybe getting less out of them than many others could. Love our staff, though, and love the show. Hashtag Otsnotables. Hashtag Go Ducks. Uh, we just kind of outlined a lot of this, so I don't want to necessarily belabor it. Um, I've, got a, I've got a point I didn't get to on some of the defensive back stuff that, that I just dawned on me we didn't touch. Um, which I'll just hit right now, and then I'll jump into the other part. I think there's a reason Triquiz Bridges was working at safety in the spring, and then they got to the offseason and said he's going to play corner. And I think it's because no one else was good enough at corner. <laughs> I like it. I, 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 just, think just, I think you're probably right. Just kind of a take we haven't really gotten into of like, man, remember when Triquiz and Brian Addison were the team's top safeties, and we felt like, okay, that's really interesting on the back end. And then really suddenly like fall that. camps – Fall camp starts and now Triquez is playing corner and he's just been the only he's been the starting corner all year. I don't think Triquez has been atrocious. I don't think he's been he's not the only problem, but I think part of the problem is they have one really good corner and then they're basically playing a safety at the other spot. And that's part of why you're in zone because Triquez isn't going to be good in man. Um, anyway, 
just a, another thought I had that I, I wanted to get in the original, but I ranted there and, and forgot about. Um, I think it's too early on the Tosh Mario comps. Um, I've already established, I don't know if he's severely lacking as a play caller. I think we get pretty, it's pretty easy right now to say he's a really bad X's and O's coach after this last game. But I think as we've outlined, I don't know if there's like a really easy answer either. Um, I think we get caught up on being results oriented sometimes when sometimes the results are going to be what they are almost regardless of what the defense is doing. And if you want to tell me in the YouTube comments, I'm wrong and outline why maybe I'll kind of listen and, and you can convince me, but I, I see a defense that doesn't have a lot of answers and a coordinator that and a coaching staff that's trying its best to, to make, to make, to do its best with kind of a, a hand they've been dealt that isn't fantastic given what you're facing. And I thought Jared did a great job of outlining also of like, these are really dynamic pass offenses and Oregon's offense or Oregon's defense has been poor all year, but not give up 30 points on defense, except for against two, and I guess three, because Washington State got a late touchdown of the better offenses that they've played. That's probably the three best offenses that they've played have really bit them. Um, and I think they've, they've done their best. Like, I, I don't think this is a in total indictment on Tosh stinks. He's only a recruiter type of thing. I think, uh, I think I've kind of already outlined a lot of my points on this, but like I, I just don't know what your answers are here. I don't think he's getting completely out game planned. Like it's not a chess game where he actually has many options to go to. I just think you kind of have what you have from a personnel perspective. And as I outlined <laughs> earlier, the reasons why you're pretty limited in terms of what you can do to, to respond to it. And you can say, let's go play press coverage. Let's play really aggressive on the outside. Let's bring all these blitzes. You're going to be, hating that option once you get beat for even more long passes. And I think that's the only thing that was really disappointing last game was you were playing a pretty conservative game plan for the most part in terms of not bringing a lot of pressure and sitting in a lot of like kind of zone coverage. And yet you still got beaten for the long touchdown at the end. Um, but I, I think that's going to be exactly what happens if you sell out, play press, and you bring five guys, you're going to get beat the exact same way and against Washington, you're probably better off to say, hey, maybe we can just stop the big plays. And maybe you do play a little bit more aggressively against a, a lesser offense. Like maybe you do dial it up more against an Oregon State who doesn't have a great quarterback, who maybe you think you can, uh, who doesn't have the same type of receivers. So maybe you can be more aggressive and, and create some more havoc. But I think against Washington, as we said, it's going to be a tough matchup going in all the way. And they showed why. They are a operation that knows how to attack opposing defenses. And Oregon gave a look that Washington, that, that Oregon clearly thought that was their best chance in that game was to play a, a particular coverage. Mm -hmm. They're playing a lot of cover two, a lot of zone. I, Washington just beat them at it. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. So um, my answer is I don't think we can quite say that yet. And I think I also want to, the great recruiter part, he hasn't even had time to get his guys here. Um, I know there are highly rated recruits, but these aren't exactly recruits that were brought in to play this defense. So um, right. I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to say, like, point it. I, like, Tosh, Tosh and the defense staff certainly have some responsibility here. I'm not saying it's, like, all players, but I think it's more players than it is Tosh to a certain degree. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. And, again, I'll, I'll go – I'll switch it. I'll go great recruiter first, then I'll talk about – um, him schematically as a coach. 
these most of these guys were brought in in the Andy Avalos era, which I, I guess is a similar type of defense to the four-two-five that Oregon runs. Um, and then it went to Tim DeRuiter last season, which is an entirely different defense. Which everybody, uh, everybody who watched Oregon, who was a very passionate fan, was was very upset about how that defense played. I mean, I'll just say the word slant, and then people are going to be really upset. Um, that defense had a lot more options in the secondary as well, with Michael Wright and DJ James. Um, those two, those two guys, I think maybe combine make a better one-two than this season's this year's team. I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe just the weight of Christian Gonzalez makes it better, but I digress. Tosh will have his day in the sun to get his guys, and I'm not worried about that. He was a prolific recruiter down in Alabama. Um, basically wherever he's gone, good or bad, um, he's gotten his guys and he's, he's made some, 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 some type of a defense here. He'll have his time. I'm not worried about that. And I think it's a good thing that he's a great recruiter because again, unless you want, unless you want to wait the three to four years for everybody to get developed and then have one shining moment in the sun, like a cow team or something like that. Um, that's just not what Oregon is. Oregon's going to want to be in the sun every single season. So they're going to need to go get guys. They're going to need to have people on their staff that are great recruiters. And yeah, maybe you sacrifice a little bit of coaching for that reason, but you still bring in guys who have the talent that kind of potentially make up for lack of coaching to jump into coaching. Uh, this again, this, I'm just going to bring up all my points from before. Really? These just aren't Tasha's guys. These aren't Dan's guys. These, these players aren't necessarily great fits in this four-two-five system. Um, like what Washington did against this defense, like Eric went through. If you're Oregon, you did exactly what you wanted to do in terms of trying to limit the deep ball passes, but then Bennett Williams was was exposed for two two of them, and both in the second half. Um, I have his PFF coverage grade here. He allowed five receptions for 176 yards, two touchdowns. It's not good. It's that's the issue in, in that game. That has been the issue the last couple of weeks of just blown assignments. You know, Oregon's scoring defense is pretty good. It's in the middle of the Pac-12. I think it's smack dab in the middle of the Pac-12. And under 30 points tonight, I think it's 27.6. They've done their job in limiting deep balls. They've done their job except for the last two weeks. Um, they've gotten people, excuse me, they've gotten teams down in the red zone and they've done pretty well when the field shortens. And they've held opponents to field goals, which is really from this secondary, other than Brian Addison and Christian Gonzalez, that's all you can ask for. And without a pass rush, without the ability to bring linebackers on blitzes, because that just opens up a whole another middle of the field. That's another coverage area to worry about. Without the elite athleticism on the edges to bring linebackers in and then have those guys go out in a coverage on the flats. Without that ability, DJ Johnson got burned on that a couple of times against Washington on the rewatch. There's not a lot that Tosh Lupoy and Dan Lanning can do. They are going to have to sit in this zone coverage system, maybe play, maybe play man-to-man coverage with Christian Gonzalez on the outside, that there's not a lot that he can do. You're, and then this, this is going to be like we just went through a huge offseason and what Oregon does to bring in talent at a cornerback, safety, linebacker, defensive end, and interior defensive line positions. This defense is going to look very different next year compared to this year. It's way too early um, to make that kind of assumption. Like, 
I don't really need to say much beyond that because you guys have both run through it. Um, if these same problems persist in this magnitude next season, then yes, you need to sit here and evaluate the situation and dig deep. Is this a scheme issue? Is this a coaching issue? Is this a communication issue? Is this a player issue? Um, but if you see improvement next season, it's calm down. It's too early. It's too early to say this. It, there's injuries. There's transfers out. Uh, there's players that haven't performed up to expectations. And ultimately that's all on the coaching staff because they're responsible for the players that arrive at Oregon. They're responsible for developing them, but it's, we're not even to year one yet. And it's one of the worst defenses we've seen in a while. Yes. But you only can do so much if you don't have the pieces that fit your entire roster. Now, what I think would, would maybe be the one caveat here for me is elite coaches. They find a way to adapt their system to the players that they have. And they find ways to still produce, maybe get better results than maybe other coaches would. And I don't know if we've seen that adjustment to the adjustment for Oregon this season defensively where, yeah, you don't got, you don't got coverage guys. You don't have a, a, a good pass rush. Um, so wh- what are you going to do to make this defense maybe a little bit better and mask that a little bit? We haven't really seen that this season and that's on the staff to kind of figure that out in the off season. What can you do if, if you don't have the perfect pieces to, to your system, how do you tailor your system around the players? All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this Austin Audible's mailbag. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's mailbag. A couple more questions to go, and then we'll wrap this up. All right, from at Dylan Hoffman, do you guys think that Oregon will finish this season above or below their preseason rank? Hashtag odds and audibles. We can keep this one relatively quick, I think. Uh, preseason, they were 11th in the AP poll. Um, they're currently 12th. And I was just looking at the last handful of years' rankings and kind of what sort of record keeps you in the 11, 10, 9 kind of range. A lot of it are too, a lot of it's like, two lost teams. So Oregon would probably need to win out. There are some three lost teams. Maybe Oregon wins the conference championship and then loses a bowl game or 
plays in the conference championship, loses that, wins the bowl game. But like they basically have to lose zero to one games the rest of the way, I think, to uh, to finish above eleventh nationally at the end of the season. Uh, I don't know if they're going to do that because I don't know what's going on with Bo Nix. Like if Bo Nix is healthy, I think I'd probably you could probably sign me up that there's a pretty good chance that happens. If Bo Nix isn't healthy, I think they're going to have a really hard time winning either of these upcoming games. And then you look at the bowl game, and at that point, they lose. If they lose these last two games, they're not going to be ranked higher than 11th. They're not going to be 11th, 10th, 9th, anywhere in that range. Um, so I'll just kind of say it's all Bo Nix dependent, and leave it at that because I think if I think if he does play, I, to me it just comes down to like an, a health thing almost, and. I don't have enough information to really make the call. Like, if, but if Bonix isn't playing, I don't think they're going to do well enough to be ranked at that place. Yeah, I agree. It just comes down to what these last two games do. I think honestly, if hypothetically, if Oregon won the last two games and then lost, I don't know. Let's say they get to the championship game and they Pac-12 championship game, they win it. You go to the Rose Bowl, they lose. I think they still finish with inside the top eleven. Um, but again, they don't get to the Pac-12 championship game unless they win these last two games, and that's health dependent, like Eric said. Um, to so to answer your question, Dylan Hoffman, I don't know. Maybe uh, it just really depends on health and if Bonex can play. Um, maybe we can answer that question on Tuesday's podcast after we talk to Dan later today, and then say, "Ah, it sounds a little bit better. Let's go with yes." Uh, if Bo plays, I I think. I still am going to say Oregon wins out in the regular season Pac-12 championship um, if Bo plays. If he doesn't play – so that in that scenario, then yes, they will finish higher than their ranking. A top 10 ranking is very possible. Um, if they don't get Bo Nix for all of these games, then no, they will not finish higher. They may not even be top 25 in general if Bo doesn't play in these two games, if he doesn't play on Saturday against Utah, I, I I'll say it right now. I don't think Oregon wins. Um, and I don't think they win at Oregon state either. If, if Bo Nix doesn't play in that game. So um, that would be a disastrous crushing fall, <laughs> losing your final three games of the regular season, not making the Pac-12 championship, but that's how important Bo Nix is to this team. And one last thought before we go to the last question. I assume, I haven't looked at this, is the last time Oregon's last consecutive home games, is that 2016 during that just disaster of a season? It has to be, right? I haven't looked, but that might be, if Bo's not playing. I don't know what else. It's definitely not, it's it's not since then, I don't think. Um, Unless in 17 when Herbert got hurt. I don't think though, because I think they lost in Seattle. They lost at UCLA. They lost to Washington State, but they beat Utah. They beat Cal before. I think, I think it has to be 16. Um, and I only, I only ring that up because uh, if Bo's not available, that's going to be something that's – there's a pretty high likelihood I think that takes place. Not to totally out write him off, but I think the I think we'd all probably pick Utah if, if we know Bo's not playing. I think it's got to be 16. I'm going to go on to the next question, Jared. You can, it you is. Can, uh, yeah, I just looked at seven. It's 16. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from at be a duck 93 to wrap up the show, big loss on a big recruiting weekend. How might this outcome affect the decision-making process of the offense and defensive recruits in attendance for this game? Mentioned Caden Proctor mentioned David Hicks. 
Um, hashtag Ots and Audibles. Matt, what are we hearing here? I mean, there was a big deal when Caden Proctor, number one rated offensive lineman, kind of late in the week. I think it was like Saturday morning, Friday night. There was some kind of yep. scuttlebutt about him coming out west, committed to Iowa, big time recruit. Hicks, another person committed somewhere else, committed to AM, another five star recruit. These are the top offense and defensive line recruits in the country. Do we think this outcome of the game it doesn't help? obviously, but like, what do you think? It, how does it impact these, the recruiting part I, of this? I don't recall a player ever coming into a, a game, not just at Oregon, just in general, saying school X has to win today for me to commit to, the, to a program. That, that never happens. Now, like you said, like, yeah, a loss certainly dampers the mood a little bit because, I mean, we were in the HCC post game. Walking into that building on the first floor is where uh, a lot of recruits' families, a lot of players' families hang out. Um, and it was somber. It was very mellow and quiet. And then when we left uh, the HTC after doing interviews, usually that place is like there's hardly any room to maneuver because it's so packed with people celebrating, having fun, hanging out, what lot. Getting out of there was really easy. There wasn't a lot of people. So the mood certainly was dampened a little bit because of the loss, but everything you know, that, that loss will not be the reason why Proctor or, you know, flips to, to Oregon from Iowa. If that happens or David Hicks gives a verbal commitment to the Oregon ducks uh, or Sanford, his, his teammate, the four-star linebacker who's committed to A&M as well, who's here gives a verbal commitment to the ducks. Um, if that happens, um, Dante Moore wouldn't be turned away because of Oregon losing to Washington. Durian Dickey wouldn't be turned away. I know those guys weren't here, but or everything still checks off for Oregon. They're still in you know the national spotlight. They're still competing for conference championships. There's ample playing time. I think you can look at you know especially from a Hicks perspective. Hey, we need if it's Oregon, it's hey we need defensive linemen who can generate a pass rush and, and stuff the run. Can can you do that? Yes. Oh, well, there's a really good chance you could play, hence what you just saw on the field. Um, same thing with his teammate Sanford at linebacker. Um, so, like, this isn't going to be the nail in the coffin for Oregon getting these guys. Um, and sometimes losses kind of highlight the specific areas where play certain recruits are like, yeah, I really can see why I, their coaches are telling me I, I have a chance to play right away. Everyone says that, but seeing it in person now, yeah, I'm better than that dude, that dude, and that dude, I can get on the field right away here. Um, so the environment at Austin was awesome. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys realize this or not. The stadium was shaking. The press box was shaking at one point in the, in the, in the game. Um, I'd never experienced that. Yeah, I, I had never experienced that in the years I've covered Oregon football since 2009. The press box at Austin shaking. I, I felt like maybe I'm just dizzy, didn't eat enough food. And then someone else tweeted it and was like, I, I, that's right. I'm not the only one feeling this weird movement in the press box. Like the environment was awesome. Um, awesome day from a weather standpoint. The crowd was awesome. It was packed. It was an awesome, exciting game. Look, I know Oregon lost, and from an Oregon perspective, you're going to be bummed. It knocks you out of the college football playoff, but that was a really freaking awesome college football game. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, 
35 points in the third quarter, bombs going both ways. You had turnovers uh, and big moments. I mean, just awesome football. One of the better games we have seen at Autzen in the last 10 years. It's not the best, but one of the better ones. And if you're a recruit and you love that situation, you, you want to be on prime time, playing in big games, having NFL scouts there and everything on the line. And all of those things will continue to be true at Oregon, even after this loss. So it doesn't impact things. And, you know, Steve Wiltfong's already said a couple times that, you know, on various places on 24 seven sports that Oregon's one of the active players in recruiting right now in, in terms of flipping. And we, and we see it. Why we, we saw Hicks on campus. We saw Proctor on campus. We saw Sanford on campus, Jaden Lamar, a, a four-star running back to uh, Notre Dame. He's been on campus before. Um, there's Deuce Robinson, a five-star offense uh, tight end. That's not committed to other schools, but Oregon's pushing there. Uh, Mateo, the five-star edge player from, from California. He's, you know, getting pushed by Oregon hard here. So recruiting is fine and it doesn't seem highly likely, but I think it's, you know, in the discussion now, how things have progressed the last month or so that maybe we could get back to that conversation of Oregon having the best recruiting class in program history. There's, you know, it's not likely, but the dominoes are there in place where that, that could happen. And in a reasonable understanding scenario of how to get there could play out. Joe, do you have anything? I just had one more thought to wrap up this and we could probably end the show, which is um, the only thing that, so if this was a really fun win, it might've, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying the loss does anything, but just remember when Kayvon Thibodeau was at Oregon for the 2018 right. Oregon Washington That's what I was game. Right. Th- th- there can be some pause momentum for a game like that. Like I remember taking a video of Kayvon on, at, at midfield after the students had swarmed. And of course this was a breakthrough moment for the program and beating Washington on Saturday would not have been a breakthrough. I don't know if the fans would have swarmed the field like they did in 18, probably shouldn't have, to be honest. Uh, maybe if it's just an epic game, that goes to like 10 overtimes and at the end of it, everybody just feels the relief and they jump on the field. But like Oregon's at a point now where, where they shouldn't be swarming the field against lesser ranked teams, like, and probably against basically anybody, unless it's to, I don't, I don't even know, know what would constitute a Alabama. Maybe Alabama travels west one year. That never that crossed my mind. That's never going to happen. So don't even bring it up. Uh -uh. But like, but like, my my only point was like, I I just remember how much that can push a recruitment in a positive direction. A win. I don't think a loss removes anything from uh, as Matt I think accurately kind of assessed there of like I don't think especially a close loss in a in an incredible environment like you got to see the full odds and experience if you're one of those guys. Right. For most, I don't think. Proctor certainly hadn't been here for a game. I can't remember if Hicks had. It, you got to get a feel for what it's like to play at Oregon, that environment, what it can be like on a rivalry game. And the outcome didn't go Oregon's way, but it it, it could have been. I mean, if Oregon had lost like 52 to 10 or something and just gotten the, blow, the doors blown off it, maybe there's some small semblance of a blowback. But even that, I don't necessarily think so because I – as Matt said, we've been doing this for a long time. So rarely does a recruit say, yeah, I went to a game and it went terribly. I didn't go there. Like the only thing I can remember, Matt, is Thomas Tyner, Oregon State, when Oregon blasted him and then he ended up going with the Ducks out of high school because he was looking at Oregon State. I think he just went and said, yeah, these programs are so far apart, but like I should go to the school that's competing for championships as opposed to the one that's not. I mean, the yeah, only I one think- I can think of is 
Herbert having his name spelled wrong on a visit list, and he's still committed to Oregon. Ouch. I forgot about that. It's not great. I was yeah, I was just gonna say I don't think a I don't think a loss does anything, especially with recruiting. They're not the players, the recruiter the the recruits didn't play in the game. They're not the ones that are sad about all of this happening. They're they're there to meet the staff, have a good time, develop relationships, see what could potentially be become maybe the school that they pick. Whether or not the team wins or loses, I don't think it has much of a detriment to their recruiting abilities. Like when, yeah. when Oregon went last year to Ohio State and beat Ohio State, I don't think any of the Ohio State recruits in the stands that day were like, ah, man, other than what Marco Vidakovich told them to come to Oregon. I don't think any of them were like, ah, man, you know, this Ohio State team, I don't, they're, they're not that good. I don't think they got it. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Eric where unless they just got absolutely embarrassed like by four, five, six scores, and it's like, ooh, man, this is not a program heading in the right direction. Um, and, and that's not Oregon. It was a an absolutely amazing game, just exactly what you want in a college football atmosphere, um, minus the Oregon loss, I would say. But great atmosphere, great fan base, um, just excitement all around. There's nothing there from if you're Caden Proctor or David Hicks or Elijah Rushing, who was also there, the 2024 uh, defensive end at Arizona. There's nothing there that makes you go, oh, man. I don't know about this Oregon place. Like, yeah, they lost, but so be it. Every school loses. Um, you know, basically only one school goes undefeated at the end of the year. So it's going to happen. And if, you're ha and if you happen to be there on that weekend, sure, yeah, it's unfortunate. But it could be a lot worse. They could have won. They could have lost by 75, but they also could have won. So, again, I don't think it has anything to do mm. with how the recruit feels. I think that it's just about what the staff is. If you really didn't like how the staff act reacted after a loss, maybe, yeah, that could be something where you kind of question it. But I, I don't think it means that much. I know a lot of Oregon fans are kind of in you know, nightmare mode where you know, the black cloud continues to follow them because they lost on all these recruits. It doesn't matter. I think if, if Oregon's going to flip these guys, it's going to happen just naturally. It's not going to happen because they won or lost against Washington. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back later this week. We've got a full slate of shows to get you ready for senior day at Austin Stadium, Utah. We've already got to that point in the season. Crazy to think about. Uh, 7.30 kick, top 15 showdown between the Utes and the Oregon Ducks. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. Drag queens save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.